0: Welcome to the audiobook podcast of Touring Test, book one of the AI Diaries Trilogy. This is E.M. Foner and you can contact me through Facebook or through my author website ifitbreaks.com. Chapter 11 The next couple of weeks flew by as the world sat glued to their televisions and internet screens, trying to digest the unending stream of propaganda the hankers were broadcasting to Earth. It was clear that the aliens were well informed about the planet, but I couldn't say for sure whether it was all from leaked copies of our reports. It's also possible they had taken advantage of relativistic effects to bone up on current events from radio transmissions that they stopped to pick up on the way in. I was leaning towards report theft because the Hankers weren't known for their patience. My team members had all pushed hard to get their final analyses doctored and submitted, and I took the day off from my cover job to craft the final report. Long experience had taught the executive council to move quickly once they received the final report from the observation service. Delays inevitably led to leaks. The more mercantile species took advantage of advanced information to contact the new civilizations, spreading disinformation and nailing down trade agreements before the invitation to join the portal network arrived. Unfortunately for Earth, the Hankers had bought a source who was feeding them our information before the final report was even submitted. What should I be looking for, Ebeth asked. Anything overly truthful, I told her. My team members are all on board with this, but most of us have limited experience with lying. I'm not looking to change any of the data, just the conclusions. You'd be surprised how the executive summary influences everything that comes after. Like when the nurse asks you what the problem is and then she tells the doctor. When the doctor comes in, he doesn't really listen because he trusts the nurse more than the patient. When did you go to the doctor, I asked. With my mom, they called me in the last time, Eveth said. And no, I don't want to talk about it. We both dug into the files, my secretary on her modified laptop, and me in my head, which isn't really in the head of my encounter suit, but it's the same principle. I started with Paul's report and immediately stumbled over his data about oil change frequency. While some of the newer automobiles manufactured on Earth are capable of displaying when an oil change is required, most depend on human record-keeping, he had written. Unfortunately, this most often takes the form of printing the mileage on a sticker placed on the inside of the windshield, where it's impossible to read after a few months of exposure to ultraviolet rays from the sun. I grimaced at the implication and did a little editing so the introduction to the data section now read, Humans are so dedicated to the well-being of their automobiles that they place a reminder to change the oil on the windshield where it is always in sight. Surprisingly, the data Paul gathered was rather positive when I dug into the numbers. It seemed that quite a few people get their oil changed more frequently than recommended, either because they are following the advice from an older generation or because the chain stores that specialize in quick oil changes do an excellent sales job. I suppose a third possibility is that the unreadable windshield stickers make people nervous. I couldn't help wondering if I'd just discovered a secret marketing ploy. Oh, this is good, Ebeth said. Sue wrote that by the age of two humans begin to show signs of independence from their caregivers. This stage is known as the terrible twos because of the sadness it causes parents, who wish that their offspring would remain closely bonded forever. Move that up to the top, and add something about the rapid development of intraspatial perception in children. What does that mean? Who knows, but I sat in on a public hearing once, and the quarter representative whistled and looked pleased every time intraspatial perception came up. They have an extra vote on the Executive Council this session. For the next few minutes, the only sound in the apartment was Spot's gentle snoring, and then I heard Ebeth say under her breath, "Uh uh-oh. Read it to me, I said. Although bullying behavior may develop among children who feel a sense of dislocation at being placed in daycare, standard conflict resolution techniques have proven successful in preventing any lasting injury. Sue wrote that, I asked? It must have been a long day, Ebeth said in defense of my second-in-command. Some of those little kids can be pretty awful when they get overtired. Do you have any idea how to fix it? Small children show a willingness to explore their boundaries and find common ground, I suggested. Works for me, she said, and a rapid burst of typing followed. Whose report are you working on now? Kim's. I just wish she hadn't included all of these statistics on handwashing. It's bad enough with food workers and bathrooms, but even hospital doctors only wash their hands about half as often as they should. Maybe you could present the data as an improvement over the past, Ebeth suggested. Thank you, I said. I quickly rewrote the introduction, placing the focus on the orders of magnitude improvement in human sanitation practices over the last 200 years. It may not sound very impressive to you, but a couple of centuries pass in a blink of an eye by our standards. I doubt that any of the species on the council could even remember a time when lives were threatened by poor hygiene. Did she mention all of the federal investigators in town trying to figure out why children stopped getting sick? Ebeth asked. Is that a serious question? No, she admitted. Then I'm moving on to Justin's report, I told her. We worked in silence for a while longer before Ebeth commented doubtfully. Sue has an awful lot of data on the heights and weights of growing children. Isn't that going to make for a pretty boring report? Boring is good. If humans had any special qualities we could promote, our do that... But the next best thing is laying low and slipping in under the radar. Nobody ever put Thoreau in jail for making exhaustive depth charts of Walden Pond. Your examples are getting weirder all the time, Ebeth said, giving me a sideways look. You need to read fewer books and watch more TV if you really want to understand us. She did a little rapid typing and concluded, Sue's report is all set. It's surprising she doesn't have any more to say after almost three years of running a daycare. All of us have been sending back data since we got here, and some of it obviously leaked to the hankers, I reminded her. The final report is basically a summary of summaries, and hopefully the executive council members will never read past my executive summary of what the others say. I'm going to start on Stacy's report now, Ebeth said, and then asked a question that she'd obviously been thinking about since our night in the warehouse. Do you guys really have a rule against exporting cultural artifacts? Technically, the rule prohibits looting native cultures of their treasures, so there's some wiggle room as long as she paid market prices. It's like the rule against interfering with native customs. You know that Justin has been working to improve conditions for the elderly. One of his approaches is to reduce the number of medications many of them are taking. You could argue that pushing pills is a protected human custom, but his efforts are limited to such a small population that there's no statistical impact. Was he still able to come up with something positive to say about the way old people are treated? Nearly half of our host nation's budget is earmarked for retirement benefits and medical care for the elderly, I read from Justin's summary. Private spending to educate older citizens about non-surgical treatments is approaching the annual appropriation for the government's space exploration agency, NASA. Since when is anybody educating old people in alternatives to surgery, Ebeth said skeptically. Prescription drug advertising, I told her. You probably don't notice it because it's not targeted at your age demographic. Oh, does he write about anything other than the money? He decided that spending is the safest subject, which makes sense from a strategic perspective. Nobody on the Executive Council would believe that so much money is allocated to senior citizens just to keep them quiet. It helps that none of the League members remember the early days when their own species went through a long decline in old age. So they've fixed all that? Ebeth asked. I hesitated over whether to tell her the truth, and then hedged. Advanced civilizations find ways to postpone and streamline the aging process. I've got another question, she said. Are you really going to submit your report in English? Both English and Standard. I do the translations myself. Reporting in the local dialect is something of an affectation with observers to demonstrate our cultural immersion. It's been going on for some time. Are all observers AI? "'Most of us are,' I told her. "'It's relatively easy for artificial intelligence to transfer itself to an encounter suit and pass as native. "'With the exception of the hankers, who refuse the job, "'members of other League species have to be able to fit inside some sort of robotic container that can fool the locals. "'But controlling such a robot with any degree of precision would generally require an AI helper, "'rendering the other occupant redundant.' "'Ebeth nodded her understanding and went back to reading.' Apparently Stacy had put together a glowing report of Earth's cultural development and preservation of the past because she didn't uncover any uncomfortable truths. Humans place an extraordinarily high value on their artistic and cultural heritage, Ebeth read out loud. A single work from an acknowledged master can sell for more than what a hundred skilled professionals will earn in their lifetimes. She shook her head. I can't believe Stacy managed to put a positive spin on billionaires paying hundreds of millions of dollars for paintings simply because they've got so much money that they don't know what else to do with it. That's very cynical of you, I told her. I'm sure that some of them are true art lovers. We both laughed, and then I sent her my executive summary that would lead into the report. Tell me what you think of this. Ebeth was a quick reader, and two minutes later, she turned to me with a frown. There's nothing in here about our governments, I know you keep saying that the other species will mainly be interested in humans whose skills can transfer to the galactic service industry, but how is your league going to negotiate our membership terms if you don't tell them who to talk to? What made you think there would be negotiations involved? I was genuinely curious where she had gotten such a bizarre notion. How else could it work, she asked. Assuming the Executive Council finds favor with our report... Earth will be assigned a level of sociability, which is associated with a set of rights and responsibilities. Your initial portal access will be limited to a way station with a compatible atmosphere, and from there you'll be able to transfer to anywhere that will have you. I meant on our end, Ebeth said. Is the only portal going to be the one in the basement of your restaurant? You know that the government will try to take it from you, and who knows what the rest of the world will think. Our engineers will open portals all around the world, usually in accordance with some geeky aesthetic. The number will be large, though as I said, all of the portals will be initially locked to a single waystation. But local governments will try to take them over, Ebeth objected. I suppose they'll try, I said. We aren't here to promote political change on your planet, but neither are we going to waste our time in negotiations with governments that have nothing to offer us then how is rushing the League approval process going to save us from the hanker scheme that you all seem so worried about? Once your world is connected to the Portal network and your people gain wide access to information, it won't be so easy for the hankers to play tricks on you. Maybe we should throw a party, Ebeth suggested. What? I boggled at the non-sequitur. An end-of-the-world party, at the Portal, for when the hankers land at Davos. Sunday morning? We aren't even open until brunch. Not Sunday morning, Saturday night. What time will they land? Ebeth asked. Probably right before dawn to show off their rocket plumes in the dark. Plus, there's the whole sun rising on a new day for humanity effect to play up. I'll bet the envoy even uses the line in his speech. Faster than light spaceships have rockets? Anchor exploration vessels are equipped with landing craft rigged out to impress gullible natives, I explained. The mothership isn't structurally capable of putting down on Earth, and even if it could, They'll keep it in high orbit where the whole world is under their weapons. I thought you said they were here to play a trick. They'd still need to protect their first contact team. If you were an alien, would you land here without backup? All right, Don at Davos, Beth said. What time is that? Around 8 a.m. in late January. The day is only nine hours long. And what's the time difference to us? Seven hours, I told her. So 1 a.m. our time. That's perfect but we can't sell drinks after 1am, I pointed out. You were planning on selling drinks to your friends? Ebeth gave me one of those looks. Oh, I guess I had something else in mind when you suggested a party, I admitted. Listen, we can have betting pools. like what's the first thing the alien envoy says. It could be fun for us trying to guess what the hankers look like, though you can't bet in that pool. Let's do it. All of the AI I know love gambling." All of the A.I. you know are on my team, and we gamble as a self-diagnostic. I took a moment to compute the odds that my winnings would be enough to offset giving away booze. All right, and I've got a good guess what form the hanker envoy is going to assume. But you're disqualified from that one because you've seen them in the flesh, Ebeth said. Sure, but they won't come as themselves. Are they shapeshifters? More like biological Lego, I explained. They've been playing mix-and-match games with fat-grown parts for hundreds of thousands of years. They can whip up a compatible body and do a brain transplant in less time than it takes you to change your hair color. I'm not that bad, Ebeth objected. Besides, you don't need your bathroom for anything. My point is, when it comes to how they'll look when they walk, crawl, or slither down that landing ramp, your guess is as good as mine. And as long as I'm already breaking the law by letting you into the bar, why don't you invite your gaming friend? Death Lord? He has to work in the morning. He works for Paul, and I haven't forgotten you didn't even check with me before playing employment agency. Have you even met him yet? We killed an evil sorcerer together last night, she said. You know what I mean, Ebeth. I've bumped into the kid at Paul's a couple of times now, and he always asks why I don't bring you along. He does? I could give him a couple of gift certificates for the restaurant so you could meet him in a familiar place. You could even bring Spot. Don't you dare, she said. Why not? What if he asks some other girl to go with him? He's not going to ask a different girl, I reassured her. It struck me as strange that Ebeth, who was the most confident human I knew, would go wobbly whenever I brought up meeting her gaming friend. Besides, I could tell him that the gift certificates are only good if he brings you. You are not buying me a date with my boyfriend, she growled. So you admit that he's your boyfriend, but you're afraid to meet him? Go work on a weather forecast or take the dog for a walk before you say something really stupid. You don't know what you're talking about. I felt like I had won a sort of a moral victory and decided to quit while I was ahead. I'm sure that if he hadn't been a dog, Spont would have offered me a high five, but instead he brought me his leash. This concludes Chapter 11 of Touring Test by E.M. Foner.